Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. All right, so the Bible wasn't written to you, but it was written for you, and we're going to talk about the Tower of Babel, and uh, this is a great story. You're going to learn a lot, and I don't know if you've read this story before. Who here has read or heard the story of Tower of Babel? It's, it's like almost folklore, right? So even if you're not a Christian or you didn't grow up in church, you would know the concept here. Um, and I'm going to read it, and then we're going to dive straight into it. It's going to be fun, uh, and it's going to be confronting. Um, If you want to read along, it's going to be on the screens, or you can read along in your Bibles. We're going to start at Genesis 11, uh, verse 1, and it says this, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come. Let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. I always stop at that point and go, ever thought of baking bricks not thoroughly? <laughs> Let's half-bake the bricks. <laughs> they used the bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Jumping down to verse 8, it then says this, so the Lord scattered them from there over over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. I love this story. At first, I just used to skim over it, but I love this. I love it because when I was younger, I read this story within this manner, that these people were trying, let's be honest, when it says we're building a tower to the heavens, it's, it's, you know, it's a safe assumption to think they're just building a skyscraper, right? That's what I thought. I was like, hey, ancient skyscraper, epic. Boy, they're good at there in the Middle East again. They're doing like, we think we've got tall buildings here. You should go to like Abu Dhabi or something or Dubai. They know how to build towers there. And so I just thought to myself for a long time, they're just building a big tower. And then God comes down. He doesn't like their tower. <laughs> uh, we, have a, we have a three-year-old. And um, I have some amazing memories with all my kids. And they were all like this. And I think this is, this is what I think is so funny about how we think as human beings sometimes. Um, you know, we get those like Duplo blocks or like just, you know, wooden building blocks and like, we make sure it's large enough so they can't choke on it, but we build towers out of them, right? Anyone being a parent, you've done that before, you build towers and you start building with your kids, but they sort of just leave and you're left building. And you're like, it's like when you watch kids like TV shows, you sit on the couch, watch it with them and then two hours later, they're not there, but you're still watching it. <laughs> and you're like, Wow. <laughs> just wasted my day. And so I would build these towers and then Eden, our most recent child in the sense of in that phase of life, she would come and she'd marvel at it and then she'd just kick it over, right? <laughs> then she'd expect me to rebuild it so she could kick it. Kids do this. And I would read this often and be like, oh, okay. So God came down, didn't like their tower. And like my three-year-old, just Pfft. And then he's like, I'm going to make sure you guys can't talk to each other. So you're speaking Mandarin now. You're speaking Hindi uh, you're speaking Latin, but that'll die. 
And then that was it. And I also found it quite ironic that they built the tower so they didn't get scattered, but it was the very tower that scattered. And I was like, oh, that sucks. But then if we really want to flip it into a serious note, let's start with the scattering and the changing of language. Imagine you woke up and your best friend no longer could communicate with you, no longer could speak your language, and you didn't, you didn't know how to bridge that gap. Like literally, God steps down and creates distance amongst people. He creates confusion, and he creates this world that has never existed before in the mindset of, of these, these human beings, and that is one of not being able to communicate. That's like heart-wrenching. We can sort of cartoonize it in our head and just be like, oh, yeah, it's fine. But if I was to look at that and not actually take time to read into the whole story, I'd think that's pretty rough. How does my God of grace do that? Break up friendships, communities, families. But we've got to look at this and we've got to take our time and realize, wait, God's not a bad God. He's a good God. There's a good reason. And if the Bible's not written to me, but written for me, let's take some time this morning to actually understand what that means for the Tower of Babel. So, we have verse, uh, chapter 9 in Genesis. Uh, this is where Noah finally gets off the ark, and he gets given a commandment. That commandment was to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. It's a simple commandment, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. All those things humanity likes to do, uh, unless it, it's not according to how we feel like it's in our comfort zone or not. And then we begin to struggle with this. And this is where we pick the story up, right? Because uh, in chapter 10, it goes through how the nations were created. This is not the whole earth, by the way. When I first read this as a kid, I was like, wow, everyone on earth is building a like a tower? That's epic. Could you imagine that, just the chaos? But it's not. It's a one-people group that, is, that has come from the, the, the resettlement of earth, and they've come to what we call the southern Mesopotamian crescent. And they build this tower, but the big issue we have here is they first choose as a people group to violate the mandate that was given to Noah from God, and that was to stop increasing and to stop filling the earth and to build a city, build walls and self-determine their life. That's their first problem. Their second problem is the tower. Now, if you look at that tower, uh, we always, like I said, I always thought it was a skyscraper. It's not. In Mesopotamia at that time, let's take a look at ancient history. So they're, they're, they're literally, oh, I wish I had a map. I should have had a map for you guys. I'm going to do a visual. I'm going to do like a hand map. Is that fine? All right. This is my hand map. This is Africa. And this is like the Middle East. Yeah, we got this. This is where Israelites had to go up, right? The Mesopotamian crest goes like this, right? It bends around, encompasses Palestine. And at the southern tip of that, we have this place called Shinar. It's awesome. And it's flat, and they build this city. And they build what is called a ziggurat. Turn to the person next to you and say, ziggurat. Ziggurat. Sounds like cigarosk or cigarettes. This is what you need to understand, okay? Is that they, they have 
They've built this temple, and we think, oh, it's reaching into the heavens physically. But that's not what it means. It doesn't mean up. It means reaching into the heavens in the sense on a spiritual deity concept. So this is what I want you to understand. These, these ziggurats were built right next to the temple on sacred ground. Actually, most people weren't allowed to go up them. They weren't like as tall as we think they would be. They'd be more like a, like a, like a, a sort of fat, elongated pyramid-looking thing. And they weren't designed for us to go up. They were designed for the gods to come down. That's the concept of the Tower of Babel. It was not so that we could reach the heavens. It's so that God could invade earth. It's an interesting concept once we turn it like that, right, and start to realize that we're not talking about humanities trying to be like, look at my tower. I'm now the God of the heavens. It's because they had this incredible misconception that God tried to deal with in the garden, and, it, and we failed. He tries to deal again with Noah, and it fails. And we get to this point in the Tower of Babel, the ziggurat, the temple, the, the sacred space next to the temple within the compound. It was designed to allow the gods to come down. See, the builders were trying to establish a sacred place for God to be worshipped. Now, what's, what's the problem with that? Ever thought then, okay, fine. It's a tower to ask the God that we know, we read it in that context, to come down so he could be worshipped. But it's not exactly like that, right? So they've built this tower, this ziggurat, and they think to themselves, we're going to make our names known. This is what tells us there's a problem. The temple is not to make God's name known. The temple is to make their names known. It says that. It says so that we ourselves would be known. See, we, we worship God, and Peter writes about this in his epistle. We worship God as the church, but our main purpose outside of worshiping him is to let his name be, make his name be, shout his name, so it would be known. Not our own name. It doesn't say that, you know, at the name of Benjamin Narenan, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. That's, that's just ridiculous. Yet we live our life like that, and so did they. So let's, let's, take, let's take a pause here and think about it now, right? So it's no longer this, this, this tower that goes into the heaven. It's a tower designed to create sacred space so that God would come down, but not the God that we're thinking of. It's a God created in the human condition. So how let's give God human attributes rather than let's understand we were created in his image. Let's create him in our image. So now God needs to eat. He needs to drink, and he needs to be worshipped. So we've included this human nature into him. So what would they do in these ziggurats, these towers? They would fill it with food and offerings and worship so that the gods would come down. Why would they want to do that? I love the history, right? They do this because at the end of the day, there's this weird codependency in the images that they've created. We suffer from this today. This is what I find amazing. They create their own God so that they can be codependent with their own creation and so that they would hopefully ask this thing that they created to come down so that if, they would, if it would eat their food and drink their water and accept their worship, their created God would then protect them that they created. Now we know why God came down. Because it's a stupid timeline. It's illogical, right? 
Let's create this sacred space so that the God we create could come down and that he could protect us. Hey, but we do this today. Let's not think that they're dumb. See, the Bible says that, that, that they get the answer they're looking for, right? They build the tower and God actually comes down. He's like, oh, I see that ziggurat. Here I come. Steps out of heaven. He looks around and he, he says, ah, oh, this is not good. Because in one language, they could achieve anything. Nothing's impossible. And instantly, my mind once again goes, yeah, we could do anything if we're united. If we all just get together, one, we could do... He's not talking about we could conquer nations or build amazing cities. He's talking about ideologies. What he's saying is if humanity in one language, one mindset, is allowed to then create its own gods, we're going to create things that are so stupid and so evil, we'd think it's impossible. Like it's okay to kill a baby at any point of pregnancy, let alone full term. You know, we're the only time in society when that's okay. That in countries... It's, okay. it's, it's, more, it's, it's more frowned upon to, to kill an animal than it is to kill an unborn child. Honestly, you'd say that 100 years ago, someone would say that's impossible. Yeah, but when men and women make themselves gods and they create gods in their own image and they ask that very God to come down and dictate to them the rules, depravity becomes possible. Infanticide becomes possible. Stupidity reigns. And we think we don't have Tower of Babels. Open your phone right now. I, I, honestly, turn your phone on. Each and every one of you. You got a phone? Turn it on. Now, scroll to either Facebook or Instagram. Now, at your viewing pleasure, look at your Tower of Babel. Look what you celebrate. Look where you find value. Look where you project an image of something that's probably not very real or maybe it's two truths and a lie. Look at who you get to influence. Look at who you hopefully, hopefully you have over a thousand followers, hey? If you don't, your ziggurat's terrible. Hopefully in your Tower of Babel, that the gods you created, the ones that fill you up, the ones that make you feel a false sense of intimacy, false sense of value, false sense of authority, maybe because you manipulate the image of your life, maybe because you put a pathetic attempt at a veil that anyone with a heart brain could see through, yet you, we all just pat each other on the back and pretend that's reality. This is the impossibilities that God was talking about because ever since we started to break down those language barriers God's given us and we started to operate in one corrupt mindset, we take ourselves very back to that Tower of Babel. Look at us. We're no better. We wonder why teen suicide's up. We wonder why domestic violence is increasing. We wonder why, you know, we have young boys completely, completely having no respect for women as the rise of pornography takes hold and the church does nothing to do anything to stop it. We keep quiet as these towers build around us. But this is what I find interesting, right? So the Bible says God steps down and he rejects their initiative. And we know why. I've just told you why. But straight after the Tower of Babel is chapter 12 of Genesis. I've got to love this. You've got to love God. He says, I reject your initiative, not because I don't love you, not because I'm, 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 
I'm, I'm a bad God or I'm an a, a dictatorial God or I'm just a, a spiteful God or I'm jealous of, of what you're doing. I reject your initiative because what you're actually trying to do is save yourself and it's impossible. But I want you saved. I want you to be in relationship with me. I want that sacred space that you're trying to fill with everything else to be filled with a relationship with me. So Genesis 12 starts. Anyone knows what Genesis 12 is? This is God's initiative. Abraham. This is when he speaks to Abraham. This is when the promise goes, all right, I'm going to start building my tower of salvation for you. You want heaven to invade earth? Here it comes. Let me build my ziggurat so Christ can step down and invade your sacred space. This morning, have you actually had the revelation that all these things that we have in front of us that we try to tell ourselves we don't find value in, yet we spend, like, you ever look at your screen time on your phone? Who, whoever sees the Bible app at the top? <laughs> Mark, that's definitely not true. <laughs> right? I don't even think it rates. <laughs> and then you'd be like, oh, by Pastor Ben, I read it on, my, on, on paper copy. <laughs> and I'll be like, mm-hmm. So he starts the promise, and he says this. Let's read it. I love it. It's amazing. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Come on, foundations for the ziggurat have been laid. We, 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 as Matt would say, what is it, Matt? Jump cut? Come on. To Exodus 40, the last chapter in the book, we read here. So he starts his ziggurat, the, 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 the sacred space that we were kicked out of in the garden. You can read about that in Genesis 3. And then we try to, in the Tower of Babel, restore that sacred space through our own works. Unachievable. It it's just doesn't make sense. How can the problem be the solution? God then starts his initiative in Abraham so that he could ha- allow Christ to come through his nation. We see in Exodus 40, 35, uh, 34 to 35, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is the first sacred space. It is the tabernacle. It's the tent. It's where the Ark of the Covenant is kept. It's what the Israelites took with them when they traveled through the wilderness. It's also the first time since the garden that the sacred space has been restored. That's a long time. We then, what is it, Matt? Jump cut. First Kings 8 to 1 says this, the king Solomon summons into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes, the chiefs of the Israelite families to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. If we jump to verse 10, it says, When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. So we had the garden. We were expelled. The sacred place no longer, we don't have that anymore. In Tower of Babel, we try to restore it in our own strength, our own works. Impossible. God gives us the promise through Abraham. Abraham gives us the nation of Israel. Israel is then sent into Exodus, and in the wilderness, we're given the tabernacle. The tabernacle is the first time it's filled the sacred place with the glory of God. 
It's then echoed like it is in Deuteronomy that there is a temple coming and Solomon builds the temple and then now it's no longer the tabernacle but the temple that is filled. How good is God? He loves this stuff. Right, so now the temple's filled. But the temple's still only temporary. Why? Because the Spirit of God was never designed to be contained in a man-made object. And we're getting to the punchline, right? You get excited? It's a good punchline. We then see all the major prophets, minor prophets, ending in Malachi. Then we have the intertestamental period, the rise of the Pharisees. They fight the the Greek blasphemous behavior on the altars as they sacrifice pigs. And now you wonder why when Jesus arrives in the, the picture 400 years after Malachi, why the Pharisees have so much uh, power and authority because when everyone else let the Greeks sacrifice pigs on Jewish altars, which is a no-no, it was the Maccabean revolution, the Pharisees that stood up, protected Hebrew culture, laid their lives down. So in, in one sense, the word you can now understand a bit better why the Pharisees are given so much social authority. When everyone else doesn't stand and you stand, you get to be kingmaker. Jesus enters the frame. I love this. I love that in my life, no matter what I do, no matter in my striving, no matter how much I think it's about how good or perfect I can get something, has nothing to do with any of that. has everything to do with Jesus. So these things I've built, things I strive in, the things I thought I had value in, mean nothing in the presence of Jesus. So we see Jesus take the sin of man to the cross. He dies and he releases his spirit. And this is very interesting. I love this. Because what does he say? It is finished. What's finished? Heaven's ziggurat is finished. How amazing is that? And he releases his spirit. And the Bible says that the veil in the temple, which is over a meter thick, tears from top to bottom, signifying never again will the glory of God, the presence of God, be contained by a human-made structure, but is now free to roam the earth and fill God's creation, his humanity. It is is finished. The Bible says that he's resurrected. Before he ascends to heaven, he has a meeting with the disciples in the upper room. And we're going to read about this in Acts 1, 4 to 5. It says this, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of My father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I said this to the 9 a.m. Every time I say Holy Spirit, I feel like I'm meant to say it with a Scottish accent. I'm going to do it for you, and then it's going to ruin it. Okay? You'll never be the same again said this, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
completely irrelevant to the message, but um, <laughs> now you know how, what I have to deal with when I'm alone doing message prep. I went, holy spirit, I went down. <laughs> Got touched by the Holy Spirit. All right. This is what Jesus was saying. He's, he's essentially saying you had the garden, the failure. You had the tower. And this is what's amazing. At the tower, the languages are scattered and broken up. And there's, there, there is a disaccord. There's no, there's no communication anymore. There's a, uh, uh, this is this unifying process that takes place. And then we have the initiative of God and the, and, and the nation of, of, of Israel created. And then we have the tabernacle in the wilderness, and there's lots we could talk about there. Then we have the temple that was promised in De- Deuteronomy, paid by, by King David but built by Solomon. We then have all the prophets making sure that Israel doesn't lose its way to the point that Christ can't come. We then have the Maccabean Revolution and intertestamental period. We then have Jesus turn up in what is one of the most highly, like, uh, what would you call it? Um, it was a hotbed for rebellion and revolution this time of, of, of history in this part of the world. Jesus just finds himself in the only place where three major continents and all major civilizations interact. And he dies, he breaks into heaven, sorry, into hell, takes the keys, beats up the devil, gotta love that. Puts him to shame, rises again, and he says, hey, guess what, guys? The glory that once filled the garden, that once filled the tabernacle, that once filled the temple, is about to fill you. Resurrection power through the Holy Spirit. You said it in the Scottish accent. Acts 2, 1 to 8, it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Oh, you got to love that. See, in our own initiative, we're scattered, we're broken, we fall short. Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But when we encounter Jesus, when we allow him into our life, and when the Holy Spirit falls on us, the same glory that filled the temple now fills us, Once what was scattered language is now unified language. What was broken culture is now unified culture. Don't you find it amazing we have come full circle from the Tower of Babel? That what we create will break and scatter us, but what he creates unifies us so that our language now under his culture, under heaven's mandate, we can reach 
what we thought was impossible in a healthy mandate. So this is how I put it. Jesus, and I'm going to ask the band to come up, he says, if I had faith of a mustard seed, I could speak to the mountain, and that mountain I could ask to be cast into the ocean. That's great imagery, right? And because we all see mountains are so unmovable, they were back then. But the mountain Jesus points to when he's having this conversation is a man-made mountain by the king called Herod. And he made this mountain to speak to his name, his ideologies. And Jesus says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could speak to broken ideologies. You could speak to those unified depravities. You could speak to what's hurting and afflicting this earth. You can speak to those who, who pursue placing their name above the King of Kings. And in that authority of faith, you could cast it into the abyss. Man, all of a sudden, I start thinking, what can I cast into the abyss right now? Well, if that's the authority I have in a little bit of faith of a mustard seed, man, what if I had a watermelon of faith? All right, let's wind it back. Watermelon's too much. All right, avocado. What happens if, if the bare minimum can shift ideology and I start to increase from the bare minimum? What if I start to say, well, God... You came in like a rushing wind on, on Pentecost and you filled them and they began to speak in, in a unified tongue that everyone could understand and what was once scattered is now gathered. What was once broken is now mended. Once what was infertile is now fertile. What was impotent now has some sort of prowess and authority and power simply because I believed in Jesus. I love the answer. I get you to see God. Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying to you, Ben, to you, Avant Life, if you would begin to tear down your Tower of Babels and begin to build up the heavenly tower that transcends the earthly realms into the heavenly realms, and how do you do that? The Bible calls it his bride. This is what the church is. The church is now the garden. The church is now the ark. The church is now the tower. Welcome to Genesis. You guys ready to worship? Would you stand with me? We're going to worship this morning. Maybe you've never encountered the love of Jesus. I know this morning you're going to. Or maybe you've come here and you're a Christian and you haven't really wanted to be honest with yourself, but you've put other things before God and you've tried to sell it as if it's something that he can come down, but really it's a, a man-created or man version of God, not a God version of man. Maybe you've made yourself and you've tried to build your veil to look like you're in the right place, but really you know you're not. Or you've made it all about you. Oh God, I need a hike on Sunday. Oh God, I need to do this. Oh, I need to do that. I love Amanda's testimony. See, the, the voices that built the Tower of Babel still speaking today. We're going to worship. We're going to praise. We're going to give God glory. We do that good as a church. But we're also going to pray. We're also going to ask for forgiveness. We're also going to believe that he's going to continue to build in and through us a heavenly tower that's going to change this city. It's going to change this province and this nation. It's going to make an impact across the globe. But it starts right now. As we start to say, God, tear down these, these towers that are in my life and build in me your strong tower, your tower of 
refuge to whom I run to in my hour of need. I want to be a church that in 20 years' time can say, we took on pornography and won. We took on abortion and won. We gave voice to the voiceless, hope to the hopeless. We birthed dreams in those who couldn't even see purpose in themselves. Why? Simply because it wasn't about our name. But like, a, like John said in his, uh, sorry, Peter said in his epistles, our job is to make his name known, God's name known. Shout out to all the earth that the God that created heaven and earth is alive. His name is Jesus and he's here to encounter you. Holy Spirit is here right now and he wants to resurrect dreams and lives. He wants to heal. He wants to provide. He wants to break chains and set captives free. He wants to bind up the enemy and he wants to mend broken hearts. It all starts with us. Let's worship, church. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.